so Manchester asked all their students to come back um, in September and said that there wouldn't be so much online teaching, which was obviously not true. So loads of people got duped into paying rent at university halls and like private landlords and stuff. And um, the uni basically handled students in halls really, really poorly. Like they erected loads of fences outside of the, the all the Fallowfield campus halls and sort of didn't give any prior notice. And then they were blocking off entrances. Um, they were covering, like, blocking off all of the green spaces so people couldn't even sit outside. And um, so there was a massive protest, like, pulling down all of the fences. And then there were loads of issues with the security, racially profiling students and stuff. And so Manchester, like, handled it so poorly. And off the back of a lot of that, um, a rent strike group started and they started occupying... Um, some of the disused university buildings um, they were protesting like every week they were having speeches people were coming in from other unis um, to talk about it and I think eventually after the whole rent strike they won back like four million pounds for students in halls which to be fair only did equate to like four weeks rent um, for each student uh, for the period between September and January but I don't think they ended up winning any additional money after that um, but yeah, Manchester's handled it so poorly and I think it's put a lot of people off going in September. Welcome to the Bylines Network podcast, the audio accompaniment to our growing family of regional Bylines publication. This week, we're discussing how universities have handled the student accommodation situation throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Your hosts for this week are me, Paige from West Sussex. And me, John, from London. So um, let's just talk about maybe our personal housing situations before we get into a few more uh, facts about what happened this year. Um, So for me, I've just finished university in my third year. So for my first year, I was in student halls. Um, I really actually enjoyed my student halls. It was great I mean I had a really big kitchen I had it en suite I had some good housemates um second and third year I was in private accommodation quite close to the university itself um the letting agents weren't great but it was fine I guess like I've got nothing not a not a huge story to talk about but I did always wonder in first year why the prices were so high for student accommodation I think it was just over 6k for the whole year to be in private uh, to be in student accommodation in first year Um, not quite sure why it's so high but yeah what about you John? Yeah so that's kind of interesting because I never actually lived in student halls I knew kind of from the jump that it was going to be expensive Um, although I lived you know uh, way far up in the north and I knew that the sort of accommodation prices weren't going to be as drastic as let's say London um I still knew it was going to be sort of a pretty penny so I decided to go private um and I I went private for four years I never moved um just because I thought that it was the cheapest option for me yeah so the reason why I never really went to uni accommodation was just because my maintenance loan was was too low um, so with that being said, a report by Russell Group showed that 95% of students either take out a tuition fee or a maintenance loan. 
the proportion of students taking out student loans generally has increased from 28% um, in the early 1990s to about 86% in 2010, 2011. Now jump to the academic year of 2018, 2019, the statistic dramatically increased to 96%. Adding on that, the amount taken out in maintenance loans has also kind of increased from around 3 billion um, a year in 2010, 2011 to just over 7 billion a year in 2018, 2019. So it's basically more than doubled. So with that in mind, I interviewed Brandon Olafuabi from United Students. United Students is basically a third party company that provides student housing to prospective university students. Um, and in this interview, we kind of talked about how they handled the whole pandemic and essentially how they provided student support to loads of universities across the UK. All right, so just kind of go into the organisation, what you guys do. Right, so I work for Unite Students. We are a student accommodation and so we make and provide a student accommodation for everyone in the country pretty much like 80% of the country is covered by us and yeah so it doesn't matter where you come from like the US or China or anywhere else in Europe you're free to come to the to the UK and we will give you an accommodation yeah yes yeah, so we, we were kind of talking about it before because um, I didn't kind of understand the concept of third party uh, organizations like yours so just give me a brief kind of rundown on on how that works so what we do is mostly we will contact like a university like king's college in london and we will say to them we will give you these rooms that we have at this building let's say quantum court yeah and still we'll say oh so we have this room or this place and we will let you buy the rooms from us at a flat rate and then you can let those rooms out to your students so you have more space for them to live and yeah so that's like our third so we just act as a third party for this universities to look after their students pretty, um, pretty much instead of it being directly students and the uni they live with us and we cater to their needs and their welfare and we work with the universities to make sure that they have a home for success and that's it so what really stood out to me about Unite was this whole kind of idea of the quote-unquote third-party industry that you guys are. Um, it's obvious that every business kind of struggled with COVID and um, I know that you said that you've only been working there for the past four months now, but how did Unite handle that whole situation? From what I know that the procedure was, I know that it was a lot that students and staff had to do in order for it to work. So if students wanted to go home, they needed to be able to communicate that with us, let us know what's going on and so on. We had daily meetings where we had to communicate with them, communicate with them about welfare, see how they're doing, see what we can do to make them feel more at home and more safe. Um, there were a lot of rules which had to be in line with the government, such as um, if, so, so let's say if they weren't allowed to go out because we in the, were in the middle of a lockdown. You had to enforce that and say you can't do xyz because the government says this and it was just a process of trying to make sure that everyone had what they needed to be okay 
because a lot of students really ended up suffering with um, mental health. A lot of people in the UK did, but close up, I still see it now. A lot of students suffer with their mental health and stress. Where now, you, if they if we go into another lockdown or there are rules saying we can't have guests, there's a lot of anger and frustration because um, no one's happy with that. Like COVID hit everyone really hard, and for young people to not have their social life or not to be able to enjoy the full u- university experience, it's just not great for it's just not great for anyone, and it takes a toll over the course of like a year and a half. But yeah. I know that my youth, so that my company worked really hard and making sure that everyone felt okay. Just communicating with everyone daily for a while and then twice a week and now weekly, even though COVID, you can get your vaccine, we still communicate weekly. Ask for any feedback on what, on what can be done and what anyone needs. And we just stress welfare and mental health and staying safe. Like even now, we still have to sanitize the whole building every single day, about four times every day. So from the morning to the evening. So um, have any of the students kind of like personally reached out to you on, you know, thanking you for the kind of work that you're putting into to make sure that they feel comfortable and, and safe? There are a few students. So there was one, he's, he went back to the US now. So his sentence, he ended. But he ended up being unable to fly back. And he had a really difficult time being here away from his family, like on his own. Couldn't see anyone or communicate. And he struggled a lot. But when he was going back or whenever he had any outbursts or anything, I would talk to him one-on-one. Like just walk around the building, go to the common room, just taught him as like another person and he ended up being really thankful he tries to give me gifts but we're not allowed to take those obviously but like he was really thankful for the help that he got I know that before I started the job there was another person there before me of course and he did a lot for the students as well where he had like a mini party kind of thrown for him where like we had lines of students waves of students coming to give him gifts and say thank you and everything And we always have a lot of feedback from our students where my team leader at the moment has a lot of positive feedback for the services that she does to help every single student. She she really goes above above and and beyond to help anyone and everyone. But yeah, every student where I am is really happy and really thankful that we try to bend the rules, try to help them as much as possible. And we understand that it's a really crappy situation to be in especially being away from home because it's a lot of young students like in their first or second years of uni they don't have much life life experience they don't know what it's like to be away from home so when you throw covid in their face it's like i don't know what's i don't know what's going on i don't know how to function and it's like we're being the guardians away from home like not parents because we're not here to parent them obviously but anything they they need to help anything they need that we can help with we always do and they're always really thankful which is nice I think you know kind of hearing um, how you talk about this organisation and what you guys do is it's really uh, surprising that an organisation like yours actually exists because the the root core of like you know the root purpose of your organisation is to sell houses you know you don't have to kind of go the extra mile but um it's really cool that you guys did that i was just curious about the kind of like age range within your um 
workplace because the reason why I'm saying this is a lot of unis have uh, student help centers, but oftentimes when you kind of go in them, you realize that, you know, it's kind of middle-aged people that aren't really uh, sharing that experience with you. So whatever the advice they give you doesn't really resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was just wondering kind of how active are the, are the young people in your, your company? So directly in my building or my patch, so like our area manager would be like in her early 30s or mid 30s. Every other manager, again, like my personal manager is like 32. And then in my team, I'm the youngest, I'm 22. And my team leader is 26. The other person is 23. But like everyone's really young in my, like in my team directly. So we can understand where our clientele or our associates and people that we have to work with are coming from we can relate to them and explain to them why they can and can't have certain things or understand how they're feeling and relay that to our company really well because one thing I really love about my area is they actively listen for improvements they're not stuck up people they always look at what's going on what's the message how like how can we help and we have a yeah, like a motto. There is literally no issue or no problem that's too small for us to help. So like I have, I remember I had a student that had a spider in her room at seven in the evening. I'm like, I, I'm going kind of like a bit. She calls it like there's a spider in my room. I went up, I helped, I helped catch it, throw it out because it's just, just that like, you just need to help. Like no, there is no problem that's too big, and we get rewarded for it every month or by our managers. So, but now that it's summer and it's really hot, my manager was um, given a budget for all of her buildings to come and give us some ice cream or water and stuff for free. Just like stay cool, you know, it's hot. Make sure that we have fans or AC and everything to just be good and for the students as well. Seeing as though a lot of companies had to obviously close down during the pandemic, um, did did the company, to your understanding, take a big financial hit from not getting many students? And so because there was like a shift between um, the year, so like the year groups, we were really dependent on uni- on the universities providing us rooms or students still going. So for the universities which we have contracts with, we were secure there, so there was no concern. But the company definitely was hit in a way that um, they did lose a lot this year, like over, over the span of COVID. But because of their prior success, and they're a huge conglomerate, so they're a huge company, so they didn't lose so much that they would have to close like, permanently or suffer. Like they really kept up a lot of their charity work, and uh, we had, we had, so we helped a few food, um, food banks and food charities around us, and um. Literally just the other day, I, we had um, a whole hamper for, um, I forget the name, the British Trust. I forget which one. They like, what I want to know is that they wear red. I think it's the British Heart Foundation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. British Heart Foundation, which really helps them out and everything. So we're very charitable. And even though we were hit, it didn't stop them from wanting to help everyone or going above and beyond to help, which was something I was really surprised with. But yeah, even though they were hit, 
he didn't stop anything from being carried out. Um, okay. So seeing as though things are kind of shifting back to, I guess, normal, have you guys seen a kind of increase in the number of students or has there been kind of this newfound fear of like wanting to commit to an accommodation because you don't really know where things are going? Um, so for us, I feel as if there are still the minority now that are kind of afraid of coming back or going to university or going there in person because in many countries now they have their own vaccines, they have many ways to combat the virus and the whole spread of it. And so many people are less concerned about it. They're not so worried that you have the few that won't get vaccinated or will be afraid of leaving their home to go to university because of the spread of COVID. But that's, again, the minority, maybe 10% or 5% of people would feel that would feel that way. Because um, as soon as we opened up our rooms for them to be available out of contracts with the university, the rooms that we allowed to be open to the public were filled up almost instantly. They were really quick to fill them in. So it just sends a message that people really want to go to university and enjoy their life and really party. Uh, just get away from home, experience university, and then go back and be who they are. But again, it's probably because they've all been home for like the last year, so they really want to go out and live their lives again. So it's more of a it's more of a desperate feeling to be normal that has incited a push or inst or, or instigated a push to normalcy. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It seems like things are really looking good for the future of Unite. Yeah, so like at least from my standpoint, things are looking really well now. Like things are gonna be well for like the next year. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Thank you, Brandon, for joining the show. By the way. No, thank you for thank you for um, having me. Really. So when it was locked down and we were told to go home, this is like Easter of twenty twenty. Um, university completely closed. Campus is shut. We went home and we were still um, expected to pay full rent to our landlords. And this continued over the course of probably about six to eight months, I would say, um, maybe six to nine months that, I mean, some people went back because they had to use the library or whatever, but you know, campus was closed and the government guidelines were to stay at home. So we were essentially paying for rooms that we weren't living in, which is shocking really. Um, and I'm not alone because uh, there's about 2.46 million students currently um, in the UK and higher education institutions. And with the average rent of student like accommodation increasing um, by 31% since 2012, since the 2012 academic year, there's no wonder that, you know, students are still worried about their ability to pay rent and pay bills. 72% say that they're worried about their ability to pay their rent. I think what is remarkable around the COVID situation and university housing is that students have spent around 1 billion on empty accommodation during COVID. That's a ridiculous amount of money just spent on an empty room. Um, I do know that the University of Portsmouth, University of Exeter, and University of Cardiff have all provided rent rebates for those living in uni-owned housing. 
So this is like uni owned accommodation, but not all universities up and down the countries did this. And this wasn't always 100% uh, refunds. Interestingly, two thirds of those in student halls had asked for rent rebates compared to one fifth in private accommodation. Because I think probably they, they know that they won't get it back from their landlords or letting agencies. Whereas if it's university owned, you're more likely to get that back, right? And only one third of those in private accommodation were actually offered any rebate whatsoever. Yeah, so I actually think the whole um, student rent strike is really unsurprising because, you know, a lot of these people that are paying valuable money don't feel like they're getting the experience that they should be. And I can definitely attest to that because, like I said before, I, I lived four years in a private housing, same housing, um, with, the, with the bill increasing year by year. Now, obviously, um, as Paige mentioned, I had a similar situation to her where I left my accommodation in Easter of 2020. And yeah, I was forced to pay the rest of it out until up until this point. And that probably costed around five, six grand for me. So the only discount I ever really got was a quarter taken out of my yearly rent. When I actually started, you know, living in the accommodation four years ago, it was under a thousand. And, you know, coming up to this year where I just graduated, it bumped up to a thousand one hundred. And that's pretty hefty for somebody that's not really living in the house. So, yeah, I can definitely understand where that's kind of coming from. Yeah, so that is why um, I decided to interview Louise Jennifer from the University of Leicester Rent Strike Campaign. And we discussed University of Leicester, the university's neglect of the housing needs of their students during the pandemic. She gave me a bit of an insight in some of the shocking stories and the rebate that was not good enough. So hi Louise, thank you very much for coming to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. No worries. Um, I just wanted to get you on this sort of mini series that we've started to get your mm -hmm. point of view on how universities and perhaps even the government has handled uni student accommodation throughout COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the Uni of Leicester rent strike and how it came about? Okay, so um, I used to do politics, I know I do history. Um, a group of politics students got together, we were all freshers, and we, uh, through a group chat, said, hang on, this is not right. The majority of us are at home, we're being told to stay at home, um, and we're still being charged, we need to set something up about this. Um, so a few people jumped on uh, Manchester Rent Strike um, and kind of copied that idea onto... Um, copied their idea onto portraying that to Leicester um I was quite late to the trail however because of the amount of workload and the slow progress we were getting um I was basically one of the only people standing um at one point um so about three months I was doing it on my own I was trying really hard to get people on board but luckily we're building it up and we're making brilliant progress um so with the rent strike it really came out of seeing that this is like this is a whole issue this is an issue going around nationwide however we are persistently being screwed over by the establishment 
um, and by university as well. And I think it, we are told so many times that this university's slogan is, you know, be a citizen and, uh, be a citizen and change. Um, we want to be that change, whether they like it or not. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself, myself. So I also go to the University of Leicester. I'm sure some people that listen to the podcast know that. And I felt, did that on your own for three months and sort of worked hard and did it. So, you know, um, so what would you say the main aims of the Rent Strike organisation are then? So the main aim of the Rent Strike organisation, excluding, you know, the campaign we have with uh, teachers, um, the boycott of University of Leicester and the um, expulsion of the Vice-Chancellor, our aims are to get as much money back. Um, We're not settling for less than 80% back for students on the terms that we were told to stay at home um, by the government and by the university itself. Uh, A review into how our accommodation is maintained um, and also compensation for students that have suffered from ill health, uh, non-working showers, uh, bolted shut fire exits and didn't get what they thought they were paying for. Wow so there's a there's a lot there Mm -hmm. and I think it's great that you're persistent on not just getting you know the money back and then leaving Mm -hmm. it you're ready to sort of really implement change. So this 80% do you think that that is doable is that you know this is a really you know I think I agree with you 80% minimum for sure but Mm -hmm. what do you think the university will respond to? Well the university has been really hard to cooperate with we've sent multiple emails uh, we've encouraged students to send emails saying why they're striking and a lot of those reasons are like we're paying 50% for something we're told to not live in It's really hard to understand whether it is attainable or not because the university has been really hard to participate with. However, I feel like if we have enough manpower behind us and we push it and we keep on talking to the media and we keep on sending those angry emails, we could get there. Whether it's going to be this year, next year, or whether it's going to be when we're graduating, if we we were first students, we need to get that money back because we have been totally robbed. So the first tweet on the University of Leicester rent strike account was posted on the 12th of January, 2021. And it read, it's not good enough. And we're expected to pay full rent this term in a national lockdown when many other universities have managed to come up with better solution for their students. So like you said, this is a very strong call to the University of Leicester student body to back the cause of refusing to pay rent. Do you know, um, sort of like, you know, what other universities were more proactive than University of Leicester? Were there any other universities? See, it's really hard to distinguish because obviously there's been a massive gap since the first lockdown and what's happening now. However, our university was incredibly slow. Um, They were saying, oh, just wait, just wait, we'll get you your right rebate back. And it wasn't good enough. We needed an answer straight away. Students need to know whether they would get more money if they went away or they came back or what would be the best suited for them. Um, There were places like Warwick that promised a full rebate for that lockdown. Uh, London School of Economics, um, places like I would say it's places like Manchester, even though they had to occupy a building, they were getting answers from a university. I feel with Leicester, it's been incredibly slow because it's been all about the anticipation. And if we've been waiting for, let's say it was about three months to get 
oh 50 percent from this time to this time and emails sent through that are incorrect students are getting a hundred pounds back when they haven't even returned um some students getting more than they should have returned it's not been worked out at all is frankly pathetic. We need answers from the establishment we chose to trust when we filled out that UCAS form. And we weren't getting that. Why do you think Leicester are being so slow about it? I feel like it partially has to do with we have a vice chancellor that has no management skills at all. Um, when we look at uh, issues with the rent, um, we have two separate things. So we have the accommodation office for dealing with complaints, uh, ill health, um, getting back compensation for, let's say, like someone has caught um, multiple poisoning or they've, bre they've breathed in deadly dust. However, the main battles are the 50%. And when we have a complete incompetent vice chancellor and executive team, which I believe it was over 90% of students have voted against in a vote of no confidence, um, it's really hard to cooperate with someone that has one, no management skill, and two, is incredibly stubborn. Talking about management, this issue has been not just for the University of Leicester, obviously it's mm -hmm. it's the UK-wide, um, and a result yeah. of the pandemic, about 35% of students have claimed that they would be they would like to be released from their rental contracts early. Mm -hmm. However, only 89% of landlords did not give them permission to do so. So this is like private landlords. Mm -hmm. um, so university students, I found out that university students have spent around one billion pounds on empty mm -hmm. accommodation during COVID. And yeah. that's ridiculous amount of money. It's pathetic. It's completely pathetic. Um, I despite you know being involved in the campaign it's incredibly hard because obviously we're involved with the University of Leicester we're joined up with you know the union we're joined up with the student union um, it's incredibly hard when you're fighting against an establishment you're not in and that's why we are encouraging as many people that are in private renting to write persistently to your landlords write to us um, write to places uh, right to charities like shelter you need to check up with your landlords that they've actually filled in all the documents it's actually quite surprising how many landlords have skipped corners um haven't filled out the right documents that you could get money back for and i, I feel like it's so important just to make noise and join a tenants union and just make sure you know your rights and if people don't know their rights they can always come to the rent strike always ask and we'll always be fighting for them. I'm so glad that you put that forward for students to know that mm -hmm. there are places that they can go if they don't have yeah. any faith in, in the institution itself or the students union uh, directly or anyone like that they can go to you know campaigns and organizations like yourself you know rent strikes um, look them up on twitter and they'll be able to help you in some sort of way. Do you think that you know issues like this like I just said about some of those statistics has the government acknowledged this, like the outrage from students? Well, I, I feel like the government has been very... Um, I don't know how to explain this apart from... Um, so I do history and I use a lot of sources and there's this comic and it's about America before the war and it's an ostrich with its head in the sand. That's what I feel like the government is like right now. They're just completely ignoring issues. Um, even though Leicester has got Labour MPs and we've got quite active people like Claudia Ware, we've got a shadow... Chance, uh, we've got a... Um, we have a, a, a shadow Secretary of State here. Um, 
we're not being listened to by the establishment. So I really feel like we need a government that actually wants us to vote for them rather than just relying on a silent majority to not turn out to vote as students to put through petition after petition. I've been signing so many petitions, yet I'm seeing none of them talked about in Parliament. And I think that's actually really depressing that that is the landscape we are going to be growing up in. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's really important not to make it too political. Of course, we've talked about the government um, and how they treat university students in general. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when it comes to the rent strike and what your main aims are, it shouldn't be politicised because, you know, like you said, Mm -hmm. you are there for all. Um, You know, getting your message out there, I researched that University of Leicester Student Magazine published 12 articles surrounding the student accommodation between December of 2020 to early July of this year. So that's still sort of going. These articles either, you know, shine a light on the outrage students are feeling towards paying rent on empty rooms they do not live in, or expose the standard of accommodations that students have lived in. Do you think, you know, did the strength of student journalism help raise awareness for your cause and encourage students to sort of stand alongside you? Uh, it's been an incredibly powerful tool for both myself and the rent strike I've utilised. I know of myself, I've had a few cases in the university where I've had to utilise the media. And even though, you know, the representation, the representation of media is quite pro-establishment, when you can infiltrate it and use it to your advantage, it is so powerful because every exposure of corruption is bringing us closer to getting our justice. That's amazing. Yeah, 100%. I think it's really important to bring anyone that has a has a voice or has a story to tell. Could you tell me more about the standard of living that some university students had to go through this year? Okay, so the standard of living um, is something I'm really affected by. Um, I am that student that did get hospitalised due to multiple poisoning. Um, it was a really long four months. It had a toll on my mental health. It had a toll on my physical health and it had a toll on my academic work. Um, um, I would have been a lot more sceptical if I was the only one. But as far as I know, about four people have had rashes in the accommodation I was living in. Um, I know that there are pictures of, you know, as students will, you know, move within their bubble. I've gone into rooms and there's been mould all the way across the window pane. It's absolutely disgusting that we weren't shown these rooms. We were shown a perfect room when we went around on the open day or on the website, yet we are being moved into these rooms without them being reviewed, let alone it hospitalising me two times. I'm really sorry that that happened to you and that you your mental health was affected. I mean, I think anyone's mental health would be affected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's amazing that you sort of come out of that situation and decided to be sort of, not decided to be an activist, but sort of used it for good, you know, your anger for good and directing your feelings towards yeah. how it made you feel. Um, but that's not acceptable to live in, was it your first year accommodation, you know, halls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To live in halls in that state is not okay. And so you only got £65? So um, 
the first rebate I got was from a week I wasn't staying there. That was a week where I actually went down to my parents to seek medical advice. Um, so that was the £65 I got back. It actually took me until about two weeks ago to finally get through to the accommodation. And when I say getting through, I mean, like, I went to ITV News. I went to BBC. Um, I met John Ashworth. Um, I met Claudia Webb. And we were completely publicising it. And it took that much just to get me my rebate from November to March back. Now, if we're dealing with that on the same level as all the students in Obi Student Village, all the students in the city accommodation, we are going to have a big battle. So that that is why I'm pushing so many people to collectivise themselves and get together and demand justice. So please, if anyone's listened to this, please... Yeah, you're so right. It's it's crazy that you had to go to uh, ITV News and meet MPs. Obviously, you know, it's great to get your word out, but for it to go that far for the university to then listen to you um, is crazy. So I do understand that the university gave 50% rebate to those living in. Do you know anything about um, private student accommodation? So did the University of Le- Leicester provide support for their students that weren't living in halls? As far as I know, even though the collaborations I have with places like Sulets, um, I've heard nothing at all. Um, I always read, you know, the weekly updates we get sent through. I've never seen anything about, oh, how we're working with the private companies, how we're working with this, how we're working with that. And it's honestly like, it's like, oh, don't, don't worry, you're not our responsibility, let's let's just leave you alone but it shouldn't be that at all we're joining an institution we are going to be writing their name on our cv when we're going for jobs so why aren't they taking pride in the fact that we've joined this world-renowned institution and except that we are part of that community and as communities should always work work together as covid restrictions sort of are now being relaxed you know, relaxed um, and things are changing. How do you see the rent strike maintaining its message and continuing into the next sort of academic year? I I think this summer holiday has been quite hard because obviously it's been the first summer holiday, it's been active. Um, However, we're still pushing out things. Um, We've, I know I myself put out a message saying I've got this money back. If anyone needs any help setting up a meeting, please come to me. We're not going to be going away at all. Um, we're probably going to be absolutely rife next year because it's going to be that mourning period of what we've lost. Now it's our time to reflect and now is our time to act. So not going away anytime soon? Not at all. Good, good. Thank you so much for your input today. Um, where can people find you um, and the rent strike on online? So the way you can contact us is either through Twitter or Instagram. So for Twitter, we've got myself, which is Louise J. Leslie, or we've got the Rent Strike page, which is URL Rent Strike. No underscores, no dots. It's all that. Um, with our Instagram, we've got Lester underscore Rent Strike. And we have myself, which is Louise Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I really enjoyed interviewing Louise as they looked into not only the rent strike, but the accommodation standards and how living standards were for university students. And her story is sad, but I don't think it's one of few. I think there are a lot of stories like that. 
as 32% university students suffer from lack of water or heating, 29% suffer from damp. So this just shows that, you know, this report that said 50% feel like their accommodation is poor value for money is because of the standard as well as the price. And this poor value for money, you can tell because it's linked to the, the average rent for a purpose-built student accommodation in the academic year of 2018-2019 was £147 per week. So that that is quite a lot of money for a student that may be needing a loan or might not have a part-time job. And in London, the average rent was £30 higher than any other region. Yeah, I 100% agree with that because I think that these additional pressures that students are facing on top of paying extreme rates for rent um, can have significant impacts on their mental well-being. The National Student Accommodation Survey found that 50% of students struggle to pay rent and 60% say that their mental health kind of suffers because of this. And I'm not really surprised because if you lived in a house full of damp and mold, you have nowhere else to go apart from the libraries and and that's obviously being shut. You're, in tra you're trapped in this unsanitary cage, essentially. Sort of a catch-22, really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's shocking, really. Um, when we as students were told under the government guidance to stay at home um, and most campuses were closed for a decent, you know, probably 60-70% of the academic year, we were stuck in contracts that did not see how unprecedented the situation, like a pandemic, should mean and that another look at our contracts to provide some sort of refund you know we didn't use the product that we bought why were we still expected to pay rent thank you for listening to the second episode of the series we'd also like to thank brandon and louise for appearing be sure to find them on social media at unite underscore students and url rent strike if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Bylines Pod on all social media. Just like to say a big thanks to editor John and Jules Greenbank, as always, for editing this episode. And if you enjoyed our music, it was once again Voxel Revolution by Kevin McLeod. Thanks, Kevin.